Many of us know what to expect of an aging body as we get older. Our skin wrinkles, our muscles and joints weaken, and our senses, like sight and hearing, start to decline over time. However, less of us know exactly what to expect of an aging brain, or how to spot symptoms of a brain disorder later in life. Here to talk to us about memory loss is Dr. Visa Lakshi Srinivasan, also known as Dr. Visa. She's the medical director of both the Aging Services Program and the Memory Disorders Clinic at Health First in Melbourne, Florida. This is Putting Your Health First, the podcast from Health First. I'm your host, Prakash Chandran. So Dr. Visa, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time. There's a lot to talk about here, but I wanted to get started by asking, what are normal age-related memory changes that people can expect? Well, you know, as we get older, we have different changes in different parts of the body, as you mentioned. Now, when the brain gets older, people may find that they have slow, slower thinking. They may take a longer time to learn new things. They may take a longer time to recall. And typically, people tell me that when they go to church, they look at someone, they know who this person is, but it takes a while for them to get the name pop up. And sometimes the name comes up after they meet another person. So all of those things are normal changes with aging. And when do these changes typically start to happen? And I guess that also leads to at what point should people start to worry? Well, these changes happen so gradually. And when I see my patients, typically they'll say that ever since I retired, I'm noticing it more because Perhaps I'm not using my brain as much. You don't use it, you lose it. But it's a gradual thing. And you start worrying about it if it happens on a consistent basis, on a daily basis, and it starts interfering with the day-to-day activities, like you're forgetting how to follow directions in a recipe, perhaps, or you're getting lost while driving, even in a familiar route, or you're forgetting to pay bills consistently. That's when you start worrying. Okay. And you mentioned if you don't use it, you lose it. Is there any truth to that when it comes to the brain? Absolutely. It is very true that if you consistently keep yourself cognitively engaged, you're less likely going to experience memory loss. Okay. Now, I want to talk about the memory loss conditions. And I know that there are a lot of them, but primarily or most known is dementia and Alzheimer's. Can you explain those two at a high level and tell us about the differences? Yes. So dementia is a term given to a brain problem where there's problems not just with memory, but also with thinking, reasoning, and judgment. And these changes interfere with day-to-day activities in a person's life. Alzheimer's, on the other hand, is a specific disease, and it accounts for 60 to 80% of dementia cases. So in other words, if you look at dementia as an umbrella term meant for degenerative brain diseases where the brain cells are dying and causing problems with memory, the most common cause of dementia is Alzheimer's. So all Alzheimer's are dementias, but not all dementias are Alzheimer's because you have other types of dementia. You could have dementia because of strokes. That's called vascular dementia. Or you could have dementia because of Parkinson's disease. That's called Parkinson's disease dementia. And there are other less causes, types of dementias. Okay, that's very helpful. And Is there a person that is more predisposed to getting dementia or that subset of Alzheimer's? 
Yes. So when you look at the risk factors for dementia, I always say that there are three top risk factors for Alzheimer's dementia. The first one is age. The second one is age. And the third one is age. So age is the top most risk factor. In fact, one in nine people above the age of 65 are at risk for dementia. And every five years above the age of 65, the risk doubles. And since the fastest growing population in the United States is 85 years old and above, we hear a lot about it. Wow. So outside of age itself, it's just crazy to think about that doubling number every year. Is there anything else that contributes to dementia? The other risk factors are family history of dementia. So if somebody has both parents with Alzheimer's, their risk for having Alzheimer's is much higher than perhaps their neighbor who doesn't have a family history of dementia. History of traumatic brain injury, history of strokes. And as we get older and we're seeing an aging population, it's very important to remember that what's good for the heart is good for the brain. So a lot of older people have vascular risk factors like high blood pressure, high blood sugar, diabetes, high cholesterol, high body weight. So all of those things are risk factors for dementia. Understood. Let me ask a more simple question. How do you distinguish between forgetfulness and the onset of something like dementia? That's a very good question because people, sometimes they forget their keys or they forget their glasses. And if they had encounters with someone with dementia, especially in their family, they start worrying if they're having dementia. So as I mentioned before, consistent forgetfulness that's interfering with day-to-day activities, that tells you you need to seek help. So if you're forgetting a name or if you're forgetting your key and it's just once in a while, that can happen to any of us, especially if you're under stress or you're preoccupied, you're in a hurry, you're thinking of something else, that's okay. But if you're doing this on a consistent basis and forgetting other things that you need to do to get by day-to-day life, like forgetting to have a shower, forgetting to change your clothes, not taking your pills, not paying your bills, getting lost while driving, all of those things are risk factors for dementia. They are red flags, I would call it, where you need to seek help. Okay. So if you are experiencing or your loved one is experiencing that consistent forgetfulness and it's interfering or impeding on that day-to-day activity, it's best to go and see someone. So let's talk about that piece of it. What is the first step around getting this tested and then ultimately treated? The first step is to basically seek help from a doctor. Having said that, that is a big challenge because a lot of times people who have the memory problems, either they are not aware of it or they may not be aware to the extent to which it's affected because the disease may cause them not to identify the symptoms. We call it reduced awareness or insight. Or they may be afraid of what it might be. Or they might think it's normal aging. So there is a myth that memory loss is a normal part of aging, which it's not. So a lot of times when I see my 85-year-old patient brought by their daughter, I'll ask the patient, so how is your memory? And they'll say, I'm fine. What do you expect? I'm 85. But as the daughter will nod her head and let me know that she's really concerned about it. So I think there are a lot of challenges. And I can tell you some tips as to how to get around it. Yeah, I would love to hear some tips. But before we get into those tips, 
I just want to focus on something that you said that is like really just hitting home. And that is the myth that memory loss is a normal part of aging. You know, I hear even from my parents, like I'm having a senior moment. This is something that just comes with age. But what you're saying is that is not true. And that's what makes it difficult, because when you talk about the normal forgetfulness or the normal changes that happen as we age, it could be occasionally forgetting a name. So you're having a conversation in a party and you're recalling you went to Barcelona, for example, and you're trying to remember the name of that church you went to and it's just not coming to you and you're trying and trying, it's not coming. And then you move on in the conversation, you're talking about something else and boom, familia sagrada, it comes to your brain like, oh yeah, that's what it was. That's normal because you're not using that word often and it comes back to you even though there's a little lag period. It doesn't come when you want it to. So that's like a senior moment. But when you're talking to your daughter or your wife and you're forgetting that name or you're talking about something or an event which just happened 10 minutes ago and you don't remember it, now that's a problem. Okay, let's come back to those tips. You said that there's some tips and tricks around maybe building awareness that there may be a problem. Can you speak to those? Yes. And this is where I have to say that it's not a one size fits all. So I'm going to give you some general strategies and you have to see what is the best thing that works for your loved one. So if you find that you have a close relationship with your loved one and you can actually talk about it and say, oh, you forgot this, or you can ask them, do you mind if I let you know if I'm concerned about something happening with you? And they say yes, and you have that comfortable relationship. You can bring it up and say, you know, I'm really concerned that you've been having a hard time remembering some things of late. And I think we need to get to the doctor to just make sure that we're addressing anything that can be addressed. I say this because you can say, you know, it could be a vitamin deficiency or it could be you can use things that are acceptable to them. So if you already know that somebody is a diabetic and people are usually okay talking about their medical conditions, you can use that and say, maybe it's your blood sugar. We need to make sure it's okay and use that as an excuse to bring them to the doctor. Sometimes people are very afraid of what they're going to hear or they are, as family call it, in denial. Then it's best to enlist the help of someone that is trusted. For example, it may be a trusted friend that they play cards with, or it could be someone that they go to church with. It could be a pastor. So enlist them, and they may be more open to hearing it from someone like that rather than a daughter. If they already have the middle stage of dementia where they're really forgetting very quickly what's happening, sometimes you have to take the patient out for lunch or something and then suddenly say, oh, I forgot we have a doctor's appointment instead of telling them ahead of time and giving them the chance to not come. And then if they protest, you say, you know, we have to get the refill for your prescription or it's an insurance, you can say that. If they're in the early stages, the other thing that's really helpful right now is to say we need to schedule a wellness visit because Medicare now pays for an annual wellness visit with the primary care physician, which sounds not very scary at all, but the visit includes a cognitive screening. That's one option. Now, if your loved one is really posing a lot of challenges, the other alternative is you can actually write a letter or a note to the primary care physician explaining your concerns about your loved one and say, please ensure that you do a cognitive test the next time my loved one comes for a visit. And then arrange for a scheduled visit for some other condition which is acceptable for your loved one. 
Now, let me ask about something that may not be kosher, but I actually know someone that did this, and I'm not so sure how I personally feel about it. But in the world of technology where you can record videos showing their loved one that is forgetting a video of them forgetting something, like they they mentioned that they wanted to take a certain medication, they forgot they said that, and then they're shown a video of them saying it. That feels like a pretty jarring experience, but I felt that I should ask you about doing something like that to show the loved one, hey, you did say this and I have it on video. Well, when you try to do that, you have to ask yourself, who are you trying to convince, you know? So it's best not to confront the person who has a memory problem with what's happening, because that only makes them more defensive and it makes it seem like it's one of those things you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Because the idea is, to help them understand that you care about them, that it's not their fault, but it's the disease. So when you take a video and you confront them with it, it's almost like you're attacking them. And many times the other thing is people mistake memory with intelligence. So that's why there's the challenge to come to the memory testing, because sometimes I'll have patients say, I know I'm losing my marbles or I'm not stupid. So it's not about their intelligence. It's about memory. So it's very important that you gain the trust and you let them know that you care about them and you want to help them. And sometimes we are well-intentioned, but it might actually rub the wrong way. But using technology can help. For example, I have a lot of patients who have behavioral changes secondary to dementia. Like in the evening, they have something called sundowning when they are very anxious. They make up stories. They have unfounded suspicion about their loved ones. And the next morning, they forget they did all this. So sometimes families take pictures of that, not to confront the patient, but to show them during, to show me during the visit, see, this is what happened last night. This is the kind of behavior. So how do I deal with this? So they use technology to show me the provider as to what's happening and how to seek help rather than confronting the patient. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think what you said earlier about it not being their fault, right? Like you think that it is something that you have to convince them of. You you really want to assure them that you are on their side and to do so in some of the ways that you've mentioned feel like a much better approach. Yes, because I always say that patients with dementia, they don't remember what you told them. They Mm. always remember how you made them feel. That is so important. I'm so glad that you said that. You know, my grandmother-in-law, I feel like is maybe at the early stages of dementia to where she's actually kind of aware that she's forgetful of some things. Is there anything for people that are in the early stages that they can do to naturally slow down this disease? Yes, there's lots of things that people can do to slow down the disease. And these are not very sexy. They are very common sense things, but they really work well. The most important thing that somebody has in that control is to watch their numbers, as I call it. So these numbers include the weight. They want to make sure that they have normal body mass index. They have to watch their blood pressure numbers to make sure the blood pressure is well controlled. They have to watch their blood sugars. They have to watch the cholesterol. They have to watch the number of steps they take. That's the way I talk about physical activity. They can either do 150 minutes per week of moderate activity or 75 minutes per week of vigorous aerobic activity like jogging. Or most times for my older patients, what really works well is take 10,000 steps and they don't have to do it at one stretch. They can do it three times a day and break it down. So physical activity is very important. 
managing their chronic diseases, cognitive stimulation. A lot of times patients feel that after they retire, they're really not putting their brain to much use. And so it's very important to tell them that there's a variety of ways they can do things to keep the brain active. This could be doing something by themselves, like a jigsaw puzzle, a crossword puzzle, word finding, or better still, if they can do it with friends, because then you also have social engagement. They can play card games, maybe board games, staying socially engaged, perhaps volunteering, doing something new, learning a new hobby, a new language. All of those things are important. And I can't stress enough about a brain-healthy diet, because a lot of times when people get older, They're just living by themselves. They have to cook just for one or two people. They really don't spend a lot of time thinking about healthy diet. They might have done a lot of healthy cooking when the children were at home, but now it's just the two of them. So they're mostly eating out or they're eating TV dinners, which is really not healthy. And I'm so glad you mentioned the diet piece of it. Can you talk a little bit about what the brain needs to stay healthy? I've heard of fish oil. I've heard of certain vitamins. Can you broadly speak to that? Yes. So eating healthy should be like a daily habit, which you can incorporate. So I don't like to say any specific things in particular, but a good way of looking at it is if you come out of the grocery store and you have two people, just looking at what they have in their cart can tell you how their brain looks. So the more colorful the cart looks with more natural, unprocessed foods, the better the brain is going to be. So eating more fruits, colorful fruits, colorful vegetables, whole grain, eating fish at least once a week. Eating fish is better than taking a supplement of fish oil. So when you eat the fish, it's better to bake it rather than fry it. Eating nuts, legumes, and drinking alcohol in low amounts, all of these things can help. So just before we close, we've been largely focused on dementia Are there any other types of memory-related conditions that people should be aware of? Yes. So not all memory loss is dementia. That's another important reason why they should seek help. Many times it turns out to be obstructive sleep apnea. So the brain is not getting enough oxygen. So the brain needs two things, broadly speaking, for good memory. The first one is oxygen. And the second one is the right amount of sugar. So a lot of times what I'm seeing is uncontrolled diabetics actually have memory loss and better control of diabetes helps. The other causes of memory loss include medications that cause memory problems, interestingly, especially over-the-counter sleeping pills that can cause memory loss, drinking too much alcohol, stress can cause memory loss. Sometimes traumatic events or emotional stress can masquerade as memory loss and people think that they have dementia because of stress, which can be managed. Vitamin B12 deficiency, thyroid problems, all of those are some other causes of memory loss, which can be reversed. Okay. Very, very helpful to know. And just in closing, Dr. Visa, you know, you've probably worked with many patients with memory loss issues, probably different stages of dementia. In all of your experience, if there is one thing that you know to be true that you want to leave with our audience today, what might that be? So the one thing that I find always humbling is that if you've treated one person with dementia, you've treated one person. And that's important to know because many times I'll have loved ones who have had experience of dementia in their friend, neighbors, or in their family, and they'll immediately assume that their loved one is going to have the same course and they get worried. And I have to remind them that each person is different. 
And the other thing that I always tell my team is what I told you already, that people with dementia don't remember what you said, but they always remember how you made them feel. I think that is the perfect place to end. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. That was Dr. Visa. She's the medical director of both the Aging Services Program and the Memory Disorders Clinic at Health First in Melbourne, Florida. If you or a loved one are concerned about memory loss, you can visit hf.org slash aging. If you found this podcast to be helpful, please share it on your social channels and be sure to check out the entire podcast library for more topics of interest to you. Thanks so much for listening to Putting Your Health First. My name is Prakash Chandran. Be well.